Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It begins as a cautionary tale about a girl learning responsibility and it segues surreptitiously into a story about a girl learning of her own power and her own agency and coming into her own. It just really, really holds up. Like the songs are great, the puppetry just looks amazing. So thanks thanks for finally bringing labyrinth to flex watcher the the beautiful artistry the incredible storytelling that's going going on the efficiency of it the incredible performance the the wonderful musicality of it i just adore it it gets better and in every scene there's something about this film that intrigues me and draws me in i love it hey everybody welcome to this episode of flex watcher podcast today we're joined by will hello kevin how are you and helen hello and we're going to be talking about labyrinth Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello everyone, thanks for listening today. Joining Flix Watcher, we have Will and Kevin. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Well, I'm Will and uh, I'm a screenwriter and uh, here beside me virtually is Kevin. Hello, Kevin. What do we do? <laughs> I'm also a screenwriter and um, we do a podcast called The Best Bits where we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes and talk nonsense. I mean, is it nonsense? Because you guys seem to do a fair bit of research each each episode, uh, which... We do, and people think that we're quite literate because of that, but it goes in one ear and out the other ear, because the minute that we stop recording <laughs> on the episode, by the next week we can't even remember our own names or what we discussed, so... Um, yeah. We literally cram in so many films for an episode yeah, that as soon as you hit stop or as soon, yeah, as soon as the episode is done, mm. it all evaporates. It's like doing, uh, you know, holding information for an exam. And it just yeah, exactly. GCSEs are gone. As soon as you walk out the hallway, out of the hall, it's like, I don't care what yeah. an integration is. Yep. I don't need to, I don't need to start over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Except, awesome. I mean, your subjects are a bit more interesting. You guys are talking about erotic thrillers. You're talking about, uh, you know, special effects. 
So I mean, I, I try and retain a bit of that to use in pub quizzes. Mm. It's great fun. It's really interesting. And the the topics have kind of gone all over the place, but it's always ended up with really fascinating and interesting and insightful, uh, you know, uh, stories, really. So like um, some of my favourite episodes, we did one on single takes, you know, yeah. where we just discussed uh, our favourite single take scenes. And that was fascinating. And you kind of discover some of the heroes of single takes. Uh, one of my favourite episodes ever was Best I Love You Scene. And uh, we both wept. It's so strange. We both cried <laughs> and we both made... Middle-aged men making each other cry, talking about oh, our favourite I love you scene. So it's, um, yeah, it's a fun podcast. I'll tell you the one where I got very, very emotional was best Muppet scene. So, yes. It's well, I actually apt. wanted to talk a bit about that in this. There's a, obviously a direct tie-in with this. But there is. You, you tell us about your best Muppet scene because I went on, a, after listening to the episode, I went on a bit of a deep dive. So um, did I, to be honest, because I only knew the Muppets from the Muppet show. And, uh, oh, wow. you know, I used to watch it with my dad when I was a kid. It used to be on the BBC, I think, at six o'clock. And I'd sit in his lap and I'd watch the Muppet show and, you know, it's time to face the music. And uh, that was the extent of it, other than seeing a couple of the movies like the um, Muppets Take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But for the episode, watching all of their films in order and learning about the ethos of the company and where they began and how thematic every show that he put his name to and, and put out into the world, how... He being Jim Henson. He being Jim Henson, yeah, where it was like Mm. he wanted disadvantaged children to be able to get an education, so he created Sesame Street. Or he wanted to talk about capitalism and um, the the nine-to-five lifestyle and and how uh, pervasive that was. So he he built that into Fraggle Rock. And you think, Fraggle Rock? Well, I didn't know it was... It was that deep where it was, you know, it was about the upstairs, downstairs of of, uh, Muppet land. And then just... Yeah, his death, especially when all the different puppeteers who were like a family to Jim Henson came and did a tribute to him. And they built that into the actual uh, uh, memorial service where they had the Muppets of the Muppet Show reacting to the to Kermit not being there because that was Jim mm. Henson's Muppet. And um, Fozzie trying to step into his shoes and not feeling like he was capable to do it. And and the way that they, they sort of just were quite meta about finding a catharsis to his loss I found so moving and uh, it just made me a massive fan of the original Jim Henson uh, Muppets and all the puppeteers that that were part of that legacy it's slightly diverged away from that now with the Disney corporate corporatization of yeah. the, the Muppet brand but where it began originally and it, its cultural footprint I think is um is remarkable and marvelous Mm. It's massive. I mean, the deep dive I went into, which I'm going to kind of pull on here, uh, talk about this film, Labyrinth, is like the, how the hell did they do that? Yeah. In so many, mm. so many, so many pages, how the hell did they do that? I mean, let's, let's talk, let's, well, who, sorry, which one of you guys chose Labyrinth? It was me. It was me, Kobe. No worries. So, Will, can you tell us why you chose Labyrinth? Uh, give us a synopsis. I'll get the time ready for a one minute synopsis. And then we'll go into the, how the hell did they do that of, of Labyrinth? Why I chose it is because it's a film that I saw when I was really young on VHS and it it kind of tra- it transfixed me because of the incredible artistry that's on screen. It's a very much a classical fairy tale. At the time, I, I watched it many, many times, but it never stood out as it ne- was never as great as like a Star Wars or anything like that. Mm. But yet it was a film that I went back to over and over again. And as the years have gone on, I, I appreciate it more and more. And... 
I realized when I went to look at it on my letterbox, I realized I'd logged it maybe 10 years ago, whenever, as a three-star film. And now I'm going, this is close to a five-star film. It's a four-star film. It's going up in my estimations as I get older. Because I'm as I get older now, I'm seeing... Or as films get worse. Deeper... <laughs> but I'm seeing the, the the beautiful artistry, the incredible storytelling that's going going on, the efficiency of it, the incredible performance, the, the wonderful musicality of it. I just adore it. It gets better. And in every scene, there's something about this film that intrigues me and draws me in. I love it. And let's get the synopsis timer up, ready, go. Okay, so Labyrinth is a magical musical fairy tale directed by Jim Henson uh, with music by David Bowie. It's about a fairy tale obsessed teenage girl, Sarah, played by Jennifer Connolly before Top Gun Maverick, uh, who is forced <laughs> to babysit her uh, little brother, Toby, by her wicked stepmother. Uh, she's frustrated at being trapped in a world so mundane and lacking in magic. She summons the Goblin King to take her baby brother away. And when the Goblin King actually does it, she is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue him. Utilising the incredible talents of his cast of puppeteers, Jim Henson creates a rich world of magic and wonder filled with unforgettable characters such as the fairy-killing goblin, Hoggle, the red-haired giant, Sir Didymus, the junk lady, and, of course, David Bowie's Goblin King Jareth and his hypnotic crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm assuming everyone here has seen it at least once before. Yep. Correct. Absolutely. Just just, just double-checking. And I mean, well, I had a blind spot with... um, the Princess Bride, for example. So I, I don't. So I, I can. Un- That's yeah. a five star classic. Well, the first time I saw it was for 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 Flixwatcher. Wow. Uh, but anyway, let's get. I just want to check just where we are. So, go on, Kevin. I can tell you one thing that I took away from watching it this time, that I wasn't really tapped into when I originally saw it, is that it begins as a cautionary tale about a girl learning responsibility, and it segues surreptitiously into a story about a girl learning of her own power and her own agency and coming into her own. And I think that that's a, they're doing a nice sleight of hand there where her arc isn't to become the responsible babysitter, but it's actually to realise that men, like this sex lord, doesn't have any power over her. It's she mm. has the power and uh, it's only what she gives him is the power that he has over her. Man, I'm telling you, watching it this time, I only got that message like on this recent viewing, it's a cautionary tale to young women or young young people about their first toxic relationship. Jared is a gaslighter. He's this <laughs> to, he's this rock star toxic boyfriend that she ha- and oh man, yeah, I'm I'm so vibing with that, Kevin. Did you notice that when she's in her bedroom on the the sort of the wall of inspiration that she has, there's a photograph of her stepmother with David Boy. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's the first time. Everything, everything from the film is in the, in that room. So there's even a like statue of him as well. Like everything's there. Absolutely. I wonder what that means, though. Does she have a crush on her stepmother's ex-husband? You're suggesting this was a dream and wasn't a real, real life. Sort of a Wizard of Oz thing of like taking definitely the um the characters in real life and creating fairy tale avatars for them. Because the Wizard of Oz book in that room that you see the Wizard of Oz sitting there yeah. is very prominent as the camera yeah, as the camera pans is very prominently there. I think it's she is a young thespian. Her mother is obviously from those little scrapbook um, and things that are on her mirror, you can see that she her mother is this Broadway star or something her like stepmother. that. And 
or no, oh no, her mother. Her stepmother is a mundane mother. Her stepmother is the one that's in the relationship with the real life David Bowie. Oh, boy. okay. Now it's getting yeah. even more complicated. Yes, <laughs> yes. So she is, and she, you can see that um, Sarah Jennifer Connelly's character is, she, yeah, she's Ooh, obsessed on. with fairy tales. Wait, so, but she's actually obsessed with acting. Wait, wait. That's so what she's her into. mother, who's no longer around, was an actress. Yes. She also wants to be yes. an actress. And her mother once starred yes. in, in something with David Bowie, with Jared. And that's who she's fantasizing about. She was in a relationship with Jared because I don't think this has ever been confirmed, has it? Well, uh, guys, as you're listening now, do delve into Wikipedia after this episode. Tell us um, whether Kevin's right or wrong. Uh, But look at those, look at those snap, look at those clips that she has hanging. The the scrapbook stuff. It's all there in the headlines, like these tabloid uh, headlines. So it's almost like a usual Uh, suspects thing. You're saying the story is kind of built up from there. It's all there. Every element is there. Do you know what I did notice as well with the beginning of the film is it obviously begins in England in some sort of manner or state where she's like um, acting out uh, or she's reciting some lines from a play and then she realizes, oh, I'm late. And she runs around the corner and then it cuts to Oregon or wherever it is. And you can just <laughs> yeah. tell the geography and the topography is completely different. Yeah, I was I was thinking where is what kind of home, what kind of place is that in, in the States? That she just just runs across in, in the pissing rain. It looks like Oregon to me. No, I mean, I mean, where the where the, like the stately home place was that almost oh, looks like know. it would have yeah. a, a maze in it that wouldn't be typical in this in the in the states. Um, no, well, it's like in Batman, as, isn't it, where um, he has a manor house and he lives in Gotham, like Chicago. Like, <laughs> where where is that exactly? One thing that did strike me is, as you're talking, Kevin, about the kind of allegory in this film. Surprisingly, as all this mayhem's going going on and i remember the kind of the escher-esque staircase loved it so yeah. I, and all this i had all this i haven't seen it for like two decades uh or at least 10 years and when you said it then one of the most one of the most striking memories for me was the stop david bowie says before she says you have no power with me yeah that that even though maybe you didn't understand what was going on there the subtext of it that still managed to cut through as a youngling because that, well for me at least because i was just always, i was always kind of really transfixed by that scene where he's like literally like it's like what really you tell trying to kids. Hold it back. It's only a nightmare. It's not real. It can't <laughs> hurt you. And funnily enough, it's quite similar to Nightmare on Elm Street, where Nancy learns that Freddy Krueger has no power over her, and she can turn her back on him, and that that mm. neutralizes his threat. Helen, Labyrinth, where do you sit? So this was one of my favourite films from the 80s, fond memories of watching it on VHS. At some point, it would have been a few years after it had come out, obviously, for VHS mm. and for it to trickle down. And um, I mean, I loved it, obviously very mesmerised by um, Bowie and also wishing that maybe the Goblin King could take away my younger brothers as well, who were much younger. Um, but yeah, my... my would um, you have rescued them if he did? Fuck him. I mean, I would have been tempted to go into the, uh, a week later. the, the labyrinth. I mean, it all looked pretty cool. They were also um, terrified of the, the fireys having... Um, the the nightmares about having their head ripped off by the fire is was a, a reoccurring well, nightmare yeah. for him. So, um, but I've I've watched it a lot at various points, um, quite a lot during student days as well, just as something to kind of quote along and basically get stoned to and uh, laugh at all the kind of like silliness about it and then yeah just later on particularly around when Bowie died and certain anniversaries around there because I'm a huge Bowie fan but it it just really really holds up like the songs are great and I think we'll probably chat about it but the 
the CGI owl is impressive for its time, but obviously clearly yeah. stands out as being CGI. Whereas it's everything else is obviously cut, done puppetry, just looks amazing. And then when you kind of like watch it now, like seeing like Ron Muick's name up, who I know mainly as being an artist and obviously like one of the key puppetry people and you're like oh yeah that makes sense to it now but um i can't believe it's taken what 250 something episodes to get labyrinth on it so thanks thanks for finally bringing <laughs> labyrinth to flix watcher did you guys you guys had an episode about early cgi am i right or is that or um... uh, special effects sfx special yeah effects. we had okay. dan martin on who, who does a lot of um uh, monster effects and and things like that because I, I remember when that owl came in and being super transfixed it, with it as a kid, thinking, wow, this is the future. Even though mm-hmm. obviously it pales in comparison to, you know, I'm just watching Encounter again with my son for the hundredth time, which is also, which is always great. Um, but you know the big difference still- between the, when we were on that, that episode and we were talking about the tactile nature of special effects, mm. that even if mm. they don't look realistic, you know that you can touch it. You know that there's a texture to that. There was some yeah. sort of TikTok that was going around recently, which... Um, was quite memorable, which said, uh, your tongue knows what everything everything feels like. And if you picture anything like a pillow or a piece of yeah. plastic, your tongue knows what that feels like. And I think That's so weird. it's strange, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But th- I think that <laughs> applies as well to special effects. So with this film, this is one of those films that I would have watched as a kid and I would have loved to have been just there on the day shooting it. Those sets, those those little hovels and and... Um, all the puppets and stuff and you just don't have that anymore where, where today it's like a warehouse and it's all green or it's, you know, mm-hmm. blue foam and that's standing in for like a, a buggy or something that people are meant yeah. to be riding on. Yeah. I think I picked um, Hoggle, the creation of Hoggle as my favourite um, practical effect because the actual creation of Hoggle is an amazing work of collaborative art mm. because you have a small performer in the suit who has to who has to you know act physically but also turn the head you have then four remote puppeteers who are operating the face uh, one of which is also doing the voice mm. and they all had to work together in perfect synchronicity to make that performance come alive and it does. Hoggle has, you, you feel the complexity of the character of Hoggle so deeply in this film. It's just, just gets so much better and better and better when you realise this is all done in camera, in the moment. It's beautiful stuff. Well, it's, I, I mean, I love bits where the, um, I can't remember his name, the guy who lives in the in the, in the bog, of, in the... Uh, Sir Didymus? Yeah, Sir Didymus. Yeah. Oh, Sir Didymus. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, when he's riding the, when he's riding the dog in the, in the wide cuts, it's obviously riding a dog, but in close... Yeah, close up the dog is, is a puppet. It's, it's a muppet. Really funny. And uh, I, I, I don't think that I don't think that, that would have registered as a kid when watching that. But even though it registered now, it's like, oh, that's really cool. It didn't yeah. take me it didn't take me out of it in the way that other things would. I mean, I always talk about they had uh, the a dog first Jumanji. in the puppet suit to perform the uh, the. Puppet. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a Jack Russell. <laughs> a small it was dog Jim inside. Henson's Jim Henson's pet dog of course had to be a puppeteering dog <laughs> but I talk about things like Jumanji where I first saw that and I thought that the CGI I thought just looked terrible and I just thought I, I think I watched the film once and never wants to watch it again and uh, it just gets worse and worse with, as the years pass yeah, exactly. you know the CGI it's such a shame I, th- I think I was going to say I think for Labyrinth because it does so well in its scene building and everything else generally that those bits where it's clearly a puppet or clearly something else because everything else is done so well that your brain probably was just like 
I accept this. Yeah. I'm going to be cool with that. Yeah. It's also just filled with great ideas. Like when she falls down the well and it's all the hands are grabbing hands. her and they're making their yeah, hands no. into... They're, they're doing like hands. Yeah, they're doing like um, what you, you see in like a circus or a fun fair to make these faces and, and, and communicate with her. It's like everything just feels like there's a lot of talent behind the screen that's making this come alive. Yeah, absolutely. In every scene, there's something, there's a little detail in the corner of every scene that you that just you know enriches it like for instance when they're in that tunnel near the end and this uh what's it called that machine is coming towards oh, yeah. them like this spinning yeah, yeah. with this drill and the dr- and they just get out the way and the drill passes them and you see it's just these two it's goblins parts, just yeah. like routine and they're not like men they're not evil goblins they're just like oh keep spinning keep spinning and it just <laughs> That's takes, the it like takes the, the, it, the movie extends beyond what you see and you feel like i could just walk yes. around that corner and just follow with those guys and see what they're up to Absolutely. One of the one of the things I asked before we before I joined was, um, could this film be made now? Could this film be made today? And I don't think it could be for a few different reasons. One based on the fact that I know they were trying to do like a Gremlins three, but they were like, well, you'd have to do it in CGI, and everyone's like, no, 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 you can't do Gremlins in CGI. But then if it's to be done in a puppet Gremlins, even though obviously Gremlins are real and they exist, and so Mogwise. Um, but if they're to traditional gremlins, then it would just cost so much, you know, for housing and rearing and, you know, upkeep of the gremlins. Um, <laughs> so this, I would imagine it'd be a similar thing. I know they did the Dark Crystal uh, on, on um, Yeah, and it cost Netflix, a fortune. That got canned, didn't it? Yeah. No Bowie, no no Labyrinth. Just them, them's the rules. Well, I mean... Something this. like this. You I mean, yeah. like something akin to this. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, back in the day, these uh, Jim Henson's live-action films... They, they bombed. Like, yeah. this didn't make money. Dark Crystal didn't make money. And they weren't successful at the time. Each, he was always scrambling to, you know, keep his, uh, keep the puppeteers employed. Mm-hmm. And um, and now in the universe where Disney own an awful lot of the Muppets, we're, they're not going to invest that money uh, and, and time into something that they see as like, oh, it probably won't be seen. And you need, really need Jim Henson driving it driving it to bring that level of talent and execution and dedica- de- dedication and um but also morality quite yeah quite possibly yeah i think you're right on that yeah he was the ship of the, he was the captain of all that all that muppet stuff for all those decades absolutely was this uh jennifer Connelly's first film i know you you made you made the gag about this into top of the maverick but uh <laughs> Yeah, she's pretty young in this. So. I think she was fourteen. Yeah, she was fourteen. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember if she was in anything before this. Do you know one thing about this film though, which is also helps it to stand out. It's a an adventure story with a girl protagonist. There mm. weren't that many in the eighties. There weren't that many. To Oz and yeah, there aren't that many. No, and she wasn't betrothed to anyone. Yeah, exactly. And it's not about her finding love or Prince Charming or anything like that. It, it's really just all about her saving the day. That's a good point. That's a good point. Oh, she was in, sorry, she was in Once Upon a Time in America. She was in a few films. Oh, right. Don't survive DB. Yeah, she was in Dario Argento's uh, World of Horror, uh, 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 a couple of other things. So she, yeah, I did a quick letterbox jump right there and uh, <laughs> she has... This um, was definitely her she was breakout a, role though. I have a sort yeah, of vague memory so. of her studying in England. She's put on a British accent at some point through this, wasn't it? Was that just for the acting phases or was that, I couldn't quite work out what was going on 
I think it was for the acting. Yeah. That's what I think was going on. I think she's a, a her character, she's a, a frustrated thespian. That's where she is, where she wants to be. She mm. wants to be an actor like her mother. And uh, and so that's uh, probably, that's where, that's where that's coming from. And I loved, I want to highlight one of my favourite moments in this film. And it's the junk lady and that mm. entire scene with the junk lady where she has kind of like uh, Snow White in the Seven, uh, Seven What's It Called, like, you know, What's It Called, she gets the apple, dwarfs. which sends her, dwarfs, sends her into, uh, you know, puts her into a coma and she uh, finds, she wakes up in her back in her bedroom. Mm. And I love this scene. She's back where she wants it, wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. All her ties are around her and the, and she opens, <laughs> she opens the door and there's the junk lady and she sees, oh no. I'm still in this place but I love what's underpinning that like you know all, uh, about you know uh, the junk lady is just throwing all her toys at her keeping her distracted and I was like going, oh crikey that's kind of like us adults today like you know we have all these toys to keep us distracted and keep us kind of infantile but that, but this is also and, playing uh, into her coming of age arc in that she's yeah. not a child anymore that's not going to yes. work on her yes mm. yeah yeah absolutely and that's a part of her growing up and I love the transition from the junk lady into David Bowie. Fuck, it's amazing. It's so seamless. It's like a magic trick in front of your eyes. It's amazing. Well, that's a nice segue into the, into the man himself, Jareth. This is my first. It's either this or watching Let's Dance somewhere on on maybe on top of the pops. I'm just being like, who the fuck is this guy? Like just yeah. being super transfixed. But and it's I mean, this is pro- probably what half the people our age remember him from mainly before before they got to know the music right and it's kind of insane and this is this is the other half, part of me saying could this film be made now because it's like super high camp um but also serious and but everyone who watches it takes it like seriously but i don't think that could i don't think that kind of set of rules would exist in in a film in this day and age though would they you'd, you'd find it hard to find someone to go with it the way that he's gone with it <laughs> Being yeah. that, you know, in the eighties, being at like his peak to go, yeah, all right then. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on some sexy <laughs> leggings and hang out with some uh, goblins and uh, yeah, I'll do the songs. Week. But like, I um, you want me to do those kind of songs? Okay, yeah, let's 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 go for it with those songs. I just don't think anyone else. I mean, no one else can touch Bowie, but I I think we'd struggle to find someone else who manages to tick all of the boxes that he does in this. Absolutely, that's that's the thing. He he just somehow kind of like so much of his career he managed to 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 hit this almost undefinable sweet spot mm. where you can't you can't quantify it it's just he just gets it it's just like you know it, it's it's sexually confusing it's kind of like hang on a sec i, I like your tina turner do but what's going on in your pants <laughs> yeah no. there's that one moment you where know. hoggle is sort of like in his eye line and you've just kind of got his crotch and Hoggle, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's 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 kind of like my main memory of this film. Did you ever see the behind I the scenes wonder- uh, stuff where it's somebody else's hand is doing the um the crystal ball, twirling it around their fingers, yeah. and he's sort of got his yeah. arms behind his back, and yeah, it's it's the classic magician's and how they trick. Do the the the, the, SS, the stair lift, the flip the as well. Stairs, yeah. yeah. Oh. That's amazing. That's amazing. this. This film is worth if you watch the film and you haven't seen any of the behind the scenes stuff. Go on YouTube and look at the behind the scenes stuff because seeing how they pulled off these magic tricks in camera mm. is just a delight. It's like, oh, this. I wish films were made like this. I'm so sorry, I sound like an old man. I just wish films were made like this. You know, just please. In camera tricks were amazing. They were. 
I also want to give a shout out to uh, Gates McFadden, Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation. She was the choreographer on Labyrinth. Oh, seriously? No yep. way. So the, the fire guys, uh, the ones who have their heads ripped off, she choreographed all that. It's great, great dance moves they've got. And also uh, Danny John Jules does the voice for, for one of them. So you're probably like recognising his Cat, voice. Cat from wow. Red Dwarf. Yeah. You're probably like, I kind of uh, know that and also voice. Barrington. Yeah. Also Barrington from uh, Med Marin and Her Merry Men. There we go. There we go. There's some deep cuts there for us 80s kids. Um, okay, guys, let's head to the scores. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. They are always out of five. You may have decimal places. And we will start with you, please, Will, with your recommendability out of five. Uh, it's a, I, I'm going to say four. I'm going to say this is, I, 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 I can recommend this to everyone, young and old. The only people who might not get it are people who don't like David Bowie, maybe just can't stand puppets and Muppets. And uh, But listen, this is four out of five for me. Um, I'm going to reiterate what Will said. I'm going to go with four as well. The only thing that I think um, doesn't hold up is how brisk the opening 10 minutes of the film are and how quickly it just gets straight into the action. I appreciate that, but I also feel like there's a little few extra scenes that could have been added in to give context to her character uh, journey throughout the, the movie. But other than that, this is a belter of a film. It looks great. It's captivating. And it works on kids, and I can speak now as a, a middle-aged guy. It works on <laughs> middle-aged men as well. Can I reiterate that? I've shown this to my kids. I showed it to my kids a couple of years ago, and they were transfixed. And I'm always, I, I'm always interested to see what films from the past hook my kids in. Mm. They were both, and they were young. They were like three and five or something like that. Oh, okay. And they both sat there from beginning to end, loved it. I was going to say, one thing about the start that you were talking about there was... Um, it just it moves really quickly. It doesn't it doesn't set up anything. It doesn't set up who this Goblin King is, or the fact that there might be a a, a a sequence of words that can take Toby away from her. No, but suddenly we just it just we know that suddenly she's very close to saying it, and then there's this goblins that are going say it, say it, and you're like, hold on, what's it's working on dream logic almost. Yeah, I loved that. It's very I love that. I love that. I love that. It's just like. Just fucking, we're going with it. We're not going to get bogged down and, you know, establishing rules. Just go and we just yeah. get us in there. I love that. And one thing, I, one thing I mentioned a few times is with um, with Groundhog Day, where where the director was trying to think about how this time loop occurs. And then just one day it's just like, fuck it. Yeah, don't it explain matter. it. It just, yeah. it happens. It's, yeah, uh, that's plot. It's not story. All we want is story. Helen, sorry, recommendability score. Um, it's clearly a five. Well, it's always a fear when you go back to films that you, you loved, especially if they're from the 80s, and you watch them as an adult and you're like, this is a bit sketchy. Ooh, this is really, really good. But I I still think that it's great. I still think there's a lot of just really, really beautiful imagery and 
it is it's just kind of still got that appeal and I think it's partly down to everyone involved just really wanting to make it work and really kind of leaning into the the weirdness and the surrealness of it and I mean the only the only small thing I would say is that watching it as an adult the kind of like end battle scene is a bit too long it goes on for a bit and you're a bit like come on we want to get to want to get to the Goblin King that's the only the only thing but yeah it's 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 a five for me I'm gonna go for a 4.5 I think it's um I can't was it was it Will or Helen that said it wasn't their favorite film growing up there's one they just watched loads mm-hmm. um so yeah from, like I said it wasn't it wasn't a Star Wars for example but you, you know you'd be happy if someone said let's watch Labyrinth like yeah let's watch Labyrinth and I think it has I think it has shown its age a bit but still you like it's a, it's a nice warm hug of a film really and I would be very surprised if modern modern youth I say like 14 and above if this if this were for the first time what they're thinking about I'd, I'd like to know what that kind of acid test is so I think potentially you have to have watched it when you're younger and you watch it through or yeah or you first saw it like in the 80s when um that's how things were done and this was like chef's kiss of a film mm. but yeah 4.5 so repeat viewing score will oh five yes <laughs> and as i've just as i've said earlier on it's i've watched this over and over and over again and uh it, yeah it gets better the more i've watched it and as the older I've gotten, it's got it's gotten better. So it's it's easily a five. And there's so much to enjoy in every scene that you will actually have to go back and watch. And you take delight in finding the minutia, the little details of like a worm in the corner. It's like, oh my god, they've 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 put, they've put a little worm on this small little rock, and they've someone's managed to figure out how to puppeteer that small insect. So there is so there's so much craft and beauty and artistry in this in this film. The music is uh, as the, the music numbers are so uh, catchy you can't help but uh, hum along to them as al- we've already uh, shown so uh, yeah it's a five for me absolutely I love it Kevin yeah I'm going to say the same as Will the music if anything you can just put this film on and leave it on in the background and just uh, just jive out to um, some David Poy bangers um, <laughs> yeah this is a film that I would love to have been a character in that world I'd love to have been a crew member on that set and I love rewatching it it's a as you said it's a hug of a film so which, which character would you want to have been then saying you wanted to have been a character anyone particular I would love to have been uh, Jennifer Connelly's scene partner um, age appropriate but her <laughs> scene partner let's <laughs> <laughs> <I> guess Helen <laughs> repeat the in school um, absolutely a five so I actually ended up watching this like twice in like the last sort of week and a half so um it's it's got to be a five um why did you watch it twice had your had your partner your husband not seen it before well obviously I, I watched it in prep for this and I think you gave the film choices in very good time so I had a good time to uh, get them in before the record and then um randomly a friend invited me to go and see it at the Luna Cinema on Sunday so um what was that like? Um, well, I'll come to that well, we in, the next, small screen in score. the next score. But um, oh, good, 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 good. Will small screen score? Oh, I'm going to go five because again, it's great on a small screen because we've got the music. As long as you can, hear, uh, if you had the smallest screen possible, you can still hear those cracking songs, those cracking tunes from David Bowie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not docking this. This is five for me, Kevin. I'm going to go four just because small screens are not better than big screens. <laughs> Let's lean into the lunar story here. Um, so yeah, I, I've before before we said, has anyone else seen this on a big screen? No. Mm. Okay. 
Ellen, I obviously did not see this when it came out of the cinema and I've only ever, ever really seen it on VHS and then Netflix. Um, so yeah, it was, um, the Lunar Cinema is obviously the the outdoor one. So you, you have to kind of get there quite late. So I was a little bit like, am I going to stay for it all? Seen as I obviously have only watched it a few days ago, but yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was um, It was nice to be in that kind of... Um, labyrinth like love bubble where people were kind mm. of like swaying along to the songs and um there was like a few kids there as well and then there was a few people wearing like david bowie kind of labyrinth t-shirts which which was uh-huh. which was nice and sweet so yeah it was good um but saying that uh, i don't know how much it added to it obviously the ambience was good but having spent all of my life watching it on the small screen um I'll give it a 4.5 for small screen. I'm going to go for a 4. I'd like to see it on a big screen. I'd like to see it, I'd like to see it at the Prince Charles Cinema. I think it's a quote along they do with that one. So everyone kind I'm of I'm sure, yeah, it's a quote along and sing along. And, um, and I think I've said this before, when I've, when I've seen films for the first time on a big screen, typically at Prince Charles, it adds a whole new kind of vibe to it. Mm. Um, like I didn't realize how funny Gremlins was until I watched it in the screen and watching Die Hard, you know, for the first time with people was insane. Um, even though both of those films had been VHS or copied off Channel 4 or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, back in the 80s. So I hadn't had the opportunity. I'd just been me and my brother or just me watching by myself. Um, so I think this would be good to see with other people is long story short. And that's why I give it a slightly smaller, small screen score, but like everyone else here, it seems like we've had that kind of taped off TV or if, if you were lucky that bought or rented VHS pristine quote unquote copy. So we've, we've always done with inferior copies versus what we, what we have now on Netflix, I guess. Yeah. I bought her off iTunes in LA once because it was uh, oh, available. Wow. And, um, I was just, I just want, I had a, Oh, I had a meeting with the Henson company. I was okay. And I thought I would go back and revisit it because I, I wasn't as beautiful name drop there. I love that. Karen. <laughs> <with them. laughs> yeah. Um, Gadoosh, uh, <laughs> and really enjoyed it. And I, I still have that copy um, on my iTunes or Apple, whatever the fuck it is now. Some still cloud there. somewhere. Can you yeah. access it? It's standard definition though, which is a... Ah. A um, engagement score. Will. It's five. It's like, I, this is so engaging from the off. It doesn't, it doesn't sag. As you, as you were, Kevin was complaining about it, kind of like being a bit too quick in its opening. I, I find it's like, it just gets in there and it just gets into the world and we're in this wonderful world of labyrinth and uh, I'm sucked in absolutely from, from the get-go. Uh, no question about it. So it's a five. Kevin. I'm going to give it a one. Oh, I'll stop there. That got you all engaged, <laughs> what I was going to say. Oh, uh, yeah, five. You know, it just casts a spell over you. And it's, um, I, I, I'm coming back to what you said. It's a lovely hug of a film. And yeah, I think that perfectly describes this film. Helen? Uh, yes, I'm also going to go for a five. And even if you've seen it like loads of times, new things kind of stick out. So there's a part in it where the... You know, there's those like little creatures that are turning the stones around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it, one of them says, your mother is a fucking aardvark, which you'll only <laughs> know if you've like watched it loads and loads of times. And I've listened to it a lot of times. And I'm like, they are saying that. And like when they're, they're kind <laughs> no of like way. doing, there's some other like 
ones where there's they're, they're like talking gibberish but if you like listen hard enough you're like what are they actually saying they're actually saying like different things um so yeah that's the kind of engagement you get and um one of the last times I watched it, watch it with the subtitles on and then you can sing along perfectly with all the songs when they come on. <laughs> I watched I watched everything with subtitles on actually. Um Old no, Man. Your mother it's is like, a fragging aardvark. I've just I've just typed it. Listen to a it. Fracking fracking. Oh. Listen 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 back to it because it's like mm, it's one of those ones where it's like, hmm snuck that <laughs> one in. He would have been actually in prep for Fraggle Rock at this time as well. Potentially. Yeah, so, yeah, because they were they were trying to come up with a name for that show. It was like, what are we going to call them? Fraggles. Engagement score for me. I'm going to four point five. Um, I was quite interested to see how much I could just let it wash over me, like I said, the warm hug. Um, so that gives us an overall score of it's hefty four point six five six two five. It's up there. It's not at the top. Uh, it's not in the top ten. I will whilst we're whilst we're reading out the Twitter scores, I'll I'll go to our score board and give an estimate of where that might sit. But guys, do follow us on Twitter because we put out a tweet. Well, first of all, follow us on Twitter because... Why not? It's nice. You know, follow us. You can hear about you can hear about what we're doing. You can hear about the latest episodes coming out. But we always put a shout out before we record and that gives you an opportunity to give your opinion about the film. So in this case, I put a tweet out saying we're reviewing Labyrinth with Kevin Lehane and Willems Films from Best Bits Pod. Have you seen it? Gives your thoughts and a score out of five stars for an on-air shout out on Flixwatcher. And we have two responses. Will, do you want to say the first one? Uh, yeah, I got the first one. Um, it's actually from Patrick McGinley, who's one of our Patreon members of oh. the Best Bits Pod. Uh, Patrick says, at five stars, obviously, I think about this character a lot and he's referring to the junk lady and he's got a beautiful image of the junk lady there. She piles all these old toys onto Sarah's back, weighing her down. She is like pop culture, feeding us endless nostalgia. When Sarah rejects her, the illusion is shattered. One of the best scenes in the movie for me. So, yeah. Great point. I really love that. I read that earlier and I was like, oh, it's, it's, like, it's beautiful. <laughs> we love Patrick. We love Patrick too. Patrick, Patrick come back. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from the podcast Nobody Asked For. And uh, they say, it's my go-to rainy day feel-good movie. It's just fun and fun with Henson and David Bowie, which is the best kind of fun and easy five stars. Um, so in our top scoring films, overall score is still... When Harry Met Sally and sorry, joint top uh, film When Harry Met Sally and the Fugitive, uh, and they have wow. a score of point four point seven eight one two five each, and then we go to one two three four five six seven eight. So this is number nine. Oh, in the top ten. In That's the top great. ten, and uh, just just beneath the Big Lebowski. Um, and above a film called Invitation, which is just knocked off the top 10 spots, um, which I didn't realise was that high, but we obviously really enjoyed Invitation. Um, well, yeah, well, fantastic. Well done, Will. <laughs> Not this competition to bring the best film in. Hey, so I want to actually share some of the credit with Kevin because I was going through it and Kevin said to me, how about Labyrinth? I went, oh shit, yeah, because I was trying to find <laughs> find, a, find a film that wasn't, uh, that you haven't covered already. So thanks as well, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> Kevin and Will, can you sign up by telling us where we can find you guys online, your podcast, and say goodbye to all the listeners? Well, our podcast is called The Best Bits Pod. Uh, you can find us on all your podcast uh, providers. We're on Twitter, Kevin. What's our Twitter handle? At Best Bits Pod. Hey. Yeah. But the podcast is not called The Best Bits Pod. The podcast is called The Best Bits. The podcast is called The Best Bits Podcast. The Best Bits. <laughs> I should know the name, proper With name Will of and my Kevin. podcast. 
That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us again. We've had you on before. So guys, do, if you're listening for the first time and hearing Kevin and Will's voices, you want to hear more of them. What films did you bring up before? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was Fargo. No, it wasn't The Karate Kid and yeah. No Country for All Men. I had yes. The Karate Kid and you had No Country for All Men. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. So if you want to hear the, those guys talking about films, go to their podcast and also dig deeper into the Flicks Watcher barrels and hear the previous episodes. But thank you very much, guys. It's been Thanks a pleasure so to have you on again. Thank you. Great to be on. Thank Bye. you for having us. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood audio tell them flicks what she sent you you just heard a stripped media production <laughs>